Man in the Family by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1951. Chapter 27, Mother's Big Secret. It is good, Lord, that we have voices to speak, ears to hear, a mind to understand, but uh, we need one another. Without other people, male and female, we would not have these great conversations, the stories to tell, things to remember. Without women, we would not have mothers. Without mothers, we would not have fathers. And and it is um, in your good plan that we would have families that grow together, laugh together, mature together, and have to make decisions together for how we grow up in this world. So I give you thanks for that. Because of Jesus Christ our Lord, I rejoice. Amen. Everybody was glad to see me when I got home from Bachelor's Ranch. In the three months I'd been gone, Grace had changed from being a little girl to a woman, and she didn't like me to josh her about Ed Bemis. Elizabeth was walking, and Philip was nearly as strong as I. Muriel and Hal seemed to be inches taller, and Mother's cheeks were rosy and pink. During cherry and berry season, Grace and the children had done about as well as we did a year before, and with my check from Mr. Bachelet, we had nearly $300 in the bank. Philip and I got in the winter's hay alone that fall. By Thanksgiving, we had the woodshed stacked to the rafters with coal and ties sawed into stove length. In an early sleet storm, we picked apples on shares, and the garden was a fine one. So our cellar was loaded with all the canned fruit, apples, and vegetables we could use through the winter, and my rabbit hutch was crowded. At Christmas, Grace went up to the mountains with me for the tree. We only got one for ourselves. It was the nicest trip we ever had together. Grace could always remember things just the way I remembered them. It was a sharp, windy day, but we had so much fun talking that we didn't get cold at all. On New Year's Day, Carl Henry was in Littleton and dropped by our house. It was the first time we'd seen any of our old neighbors from the ranch since before Thanksgiving. Mother made him promise to stay for supper and then sent me to dress our two largest young roosters. I was glad to see Carl, too. For the past month, I'd been planning to go out to his place to talk to him about our cow, but I hadn't had a chance to do it. Duck legs didn't look as if she were going to have a calf the next summer, and I thought she ought to go back to his place for another visit. He knew a lot more about Jersey cows than most cattlemen, and I was sure he could tell in a minute when he had tell in a minute when he had a look at her. Two or three times after I dressed the roosters, I went in to see if he would come to the barn with me. He was in the kitchen where Mother was getting supper ready, and they were so busy talking that I couldn't get a word in edgewise. It was the same way at the supper table. The minute I finished saying the blessing, they went right on talking about different friends that we hadn't seen for a long time. Then, as soon as we'd finished our pie, Mother said, Now you children may all be excused. Philip, do you think you could take Hal to bed while the girls are clearing up the supper dishes? And Ralph, I know you'll be anxious to get at your evening chores. Mother's just going to be a lady tonight and visit with Carl. Carl hadn't unhitched his horses when he came, came, but had tied them to one of the cottonwood trees in front of our house. I was sure he was He'd have to be getting home to look after his own chores, so all the time I was milking, I kept worrying for fear he'd go before I could show him duck legs. Two or three times, I pushed my head in against her flank to see if I could feel any kick, but there wasn't a flicker. I took the bucket of milk into the house after I'd finished my chores. Mother and Carl were still talking in the parlor. I didn't want Carl to get away before he'd had a chance to look at duck legs, so I went and stood in the parlor doorway. Mother looked up, smiled, and motioned for me to sit down by her. Then she went on talking to Carl. Whatever became of Mr. Lodeker, she asked. Oh, 
the crazy Dutchman, Carl said. Why, he disappeared right after you, you folks moved away. I hear he died. Poor man, Mother said. I always had a warm spot in my heart for that unfortunate man. You've always had a warm spot in your heart for every unfortunate, Carl chuckled, or you wouldn't have taken me in for a good supper tonight. Well, why do you call the crazy Dutchman unfortunate? Mother sat for a moment, pinching her upper lip with her thumb and finger. Her voice was quiet when she said, Carl, now that he's gone, I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anyone before. Edward Lodeker was one of the most intelligent men I ever knew. He was generous, warm-hearted, and when he was himself, had a wonderful mind. But it was as delicately balanced as a watch, and the least bit of alcohol would unbalance it. I found myself listening as though Mother were reading a story from a strange book. The Dutchman had been our nearest neighbor for over two years, and I'd worked with him a little, but I'd never known much about him. He was good to me when he wasn't crazy, and Father wouldn't let me go near him when he was having one of his spells. Carl had been leaning back in the Morris chair when Mother started talking, but when I glanced the way he had straightened, glanced, glanced that way, he had straightened up and was listening as closely as I. I shall never forget the day Mr. Lodeker came to our house, Mother went on. He knocked just as we were finishing breakfast. When Charlie went to the door, Mr. Lodeker clicked his heels together and stood there like an army officer reporting to his superior, head high and shoulders well back. Then he spoke a few guttural words. Though I didn't know the language, I was sure it was German. You know, Charlie's parents were deaf mutes and he had the knack of making almost any foreigner understand him through sign language. But not Mr. Lodeker. It only seemed to confuse him when Charlie used his hands, and he spoke more rapidly, but in an entirely different tongue. I'd had no German when I was in school, but quantities of Latin. Suddenly, I recognized familiar Latin words. I went and stood beside Charlie, and in such halting Latin as I could muster, asked if we could be of any help. The man's whole appearance changed. He lost his military bearing, smiled, and spoke fluently in Latin. Of course, I could understand very little of it. He sensed the situation in a moment, spoke slowly, and chose familiar words. I had no trouble in understanding that he wanted to buy milk, butter, and eggs from us, and to know if there were any German-speaking people in the neighborhood. I understood more than that, Carl. I understood that he was terribly lonely, and that what he needed most of all was our friendship. You remember how, for those, all those months before they started rebuilding the well-born house, he lived alone in his little tent up there in the hill? Nearly every evening, he'd come down to our house for his milk. It was seldom that he'd stop for more than 10 or 15 minutes, but as he became better acquainted, he'd sometimes spend as much as an hour with us. Mr. Lodeker learned English rapidly, and we could soon carry on a conversation with very little difficulty. He told us of his early life in Germany, of his becoming one of the youngest officers in the German army, and of the girl who had jilted him almost on his wedding day. He'd gone to South Africa, taken part in the Boer War, and had been clubbed on the head with a rifle butt. For months, he had lain in the hospital between life and death, then went to South America, and eventually came to this country. Carl was leaning forward in the Morris chair with his chin resting in his hand. Ma'am, he said, are you sure he wasn't inventing a lot of that for your benefit? You know, the insane are often very clever in building air castles. No, Carl, mother said. They weren't illusions. At first, Charlie and I both thought so, but we were mistaken. One evening, Mr. Lodeker brought a shallow metal box to our house. He unlocked it with a little key that he wore around his neck and showed us its contents proudly. Carl, there was no possibility of questioning his story after seeing what that box held. There were university diplomas, crested letters from people of the judge's nobility, 
I'm sorry, of the German nobility in which he was addressed as Du, military commissions, insignia, and medals. To me, it was evident that they were his only tie to the life he had once loved. Good heavens, Carl said. I'm more than surprised. I'm amazed. I'd have never guessed he was anything but a crackpot and thought his military bearing was put on. Do you think it was that blow on the head that made him crazy? Possibly, Mother said, but I'm inclined to believe it was something more than that. However, I do know that he was only in balance when liquor or some other pressure upset him. At all the times, he was as rational as you or I. It was soon after he brought the box that the girl came. Hmm, Carl said. I wondered how much you knew about the girl. <clears throat> Not enough, Carl, though I wish I did. It was common gossip, so you must have known that she often came and spent weekends during the time the house was building. She must have been cracked, too, Carl said. Nobody ever saw her closer than a quarter mile, unless you did. No, Mother said. I never saw her at all, and I'm sure she was, wasn't a bit cracked, as you say, but scheming. She would bring liquor to Mr. Lodeker's tent when she came. Sometimes he wouldn't be himself again for days. You mean to go on a drunk? It wasn't that exactly, Carl. Charlie looked after him several times. He'd be entirely unbalanced, go for days without a morsel of food, and become completely intoxicated on a tablespoon of whiskey. I'm sure the girl planned it deliberately to gain control of him. Carl frowned a little. Well, what did she want control of him for? He didn't have anything but his medals, did he? I'm coming to that, Mother said. Do you remember when those two fine horses were stolen from the DCD ranch? Sure I do. Everyone in Colorado remembers why. Carl, Mr. Lidecker stole those horses. I caught a quick breath and Carl Henry's head jerked up as though he had been hit. What? he cried. The crazy Dutchman stole them. Why, ma'am, do you mean to tell me that with all you've gone through since Charlie died and at the reward of $5,000 offered for information, you've kept quiet all this time? Mother's voice was even quieter than it had been. Yes, Carl, and I'm sure you would have done the same. The morning after those horses were stolen, Mr. Lodeker came to our house. Charlie and Ralph were at the barn milking and the other children were still in bed. When I went to the door, I could see in a moment he was unbalanced, and there was liquor on his breath. He was wildly excited and very proud of himself and insisted on telling me what he had done. He kept referring to the girl as his sweetheart. She had come to his tent soon after dark with lariat and halters. At moonrise, they had risen to the north DCD pasture, cut the fence wire, and Mr. Lodeker had brought the horses out to her. They were well-trained horses, easy to handle, and she had led them straight away for the Wyoming border. He had ridden with her up past Golden, then run his horse to a lather in order to be back before daylight. I looked over at Carl, and he was watching Mother as if he thought she were the crazy one. His mouth was a little way open, and I guess mine was too, but Mother kept on. I hurried to make him hot tea, got him to eat some scrambled eggs, and finally managed to get him quiet enough that he could understand the awfulness of the thing he had done. Mother's voice almost choked up. Carl, it was the most pathetic sight I have ever seen. He was as remorseful as a little boy. Tears streamed down his face as he rushed from our house to a ride and overtake the girl. No doubt she had hidden during the daylight in one of the mountain canyons. Of course, he never found her. And if he were still living, I'm sure he never could. By the time he returned, there were reward notices on fence posts all along our road and in the post office at Fort Logan. That afternoon, he came to our house when Helen, Hal and I were alone. When I answered the knock, he was standing on our back porch with his head bowed. He didn't look up, but he said, Liebe Frau, my life is in your hands. Mr. Lodeker, I said, it will always be safe in my hands. And Carl, it always has been. 
Charlie had told me that the penalty for horse stealing in Colorado was hanging, and I knew in my heart that Mr. Lodeker was not morally guilty of the crime he had committed. Just then, Grace came to the door on her way to bed and said, Good night. Mother patted me on the head and said, You'd better run along too, son. There's so much to be done tomorrow, and you'll need a good night's sleep. Before I was undressed, I heard Carl unhitch his team and drive away, and I'd forgotten to ask him to look at duck legs. Isn't that amazing? The stories people have and the things that um, break and cause uh, men and women to, to fall. I love you.